Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to episode number 85 of the Mets Up Podcast presented by The 7 Line. We have a great, fantastic, awesome series to talk about today. The Mets took three of four from the 107-win San Francisco Giants last year. Yes, a team that we said would be a huge barometer, a big test of how good this Mets team would be this year. We went out and took three of four and honestly had a chance to take all four games in this series so Many amazing things to talk about from Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco to just everybody stepping up on this team. Luis Gourmet shaving his beard, looking like Buzz Lightyear and having a nice series for us. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to go through all the games, give you detailed recaps of what was going on as well as give you our thoughts and opinions is everything. If you guys are not yet following us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, make sure you are. Metzed Up, you'll be able to find us everywhere. YouTube channel, we'll have the video content out there. Metzed Up Podcast. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find it you can listen to us make sure you're following the podcast subscribe to it drop us a rating drop us a review it really does help grow the pod and without further ado let's bring in james shiano as we are both in-house again this i'm getting used to this i'm getting used to the in-house episodes yeah for sure and i mean it's only only a short five mile bike ride for me from brooklyn why not just come up here watch the game get the get a couple tvs going for some day baseball it's an easy thursday activity i can't imagine doing 10 miles of biking in one day i did three in central park last weekend and i'm still feeling it in my legs <laughs> you've never really known about strong legs though I, I caught i had good legs for, true, yeah. for about 18 years yeah as a child <laughs> once i hit adulthood the legs they went i stopped doing exercise but hey how about those mets how about those mets man what a great series today today especially putting the bow on it. i know we're going to jump back to start this episode off of game one but just being able to have a clean finish to a series that when you have a four game series and you're winning two games to one a lot of different things can happen it's like more it's a little bit more meaningful i would even say than a rubber game in a normal series because one one then it goes to two one but the difference between three one and two two that feels tremendous inside my own head the fact that the mets were able to like hammer this win home leave no shadow of a doubt that they were the better team than the giants this week is giving me an incredible amount of confidence and it started off really Really shaky too this series we had the weird rain out of course where mm-hmm. it actually probably could have played that night you know but that night later there was tons of rain oh it was torrential it was nor'easter whatever we were getting i don't even think i told you did i tell you that i got caught in that nor'easter in new jersey oh no i got caught really bad in this i was um i was home over the weekend for easter we did both that both, last episode both of us back home and i went with a friend drove down to one of my friend's houses their family moved down the shore moved out of our town westfield went to like a bar together had a few drinks that night and then we were going back to her parents house and we like couldn't get an uber there are no ubers coming we're like oh crap it's raining really hard all right it's only a mile away it's in the rain let's just let's just go really fast let's oh, walk no. and get out there and we're in manasquan new jersey if anybody knows it's very prone to floods and we get to like the little hill that connects manasquan and belmar like the nice little bridge overpass and it was 
absolutely knee deep water <laughs> and we had no option we had to, we took our shoes and socks off had to wade through it my monday night was definitely a little bit different than yours yeah I for was, sure i was whining and dining at smith and walensky with carlos rodon sucks carlos rodon of the giants had dinner with him monday night shout out to ernie and dave that is my yeah. hook up there for that connection but that was a pretty cool way to start it. The rain out ended up being pretty positive here for Giraffe Neck Mark Mark Luino. Yeah, different Mondays. Yeah, different Mondays. But let's get to this game now. Because like we said, it started off a little bit crazy. Didn't look great. Tyler McGill actually really wasn't even pitching bad. Just four runs on little dinks and doinks. That's kind of what the Giants felt like they were doing all series. It's just dink and doinks. I, I said it earlier. They know how to get runs off of singles. Yeah, they're very good at that. And we even got a run before the Giants did in Game 1. We jumped out to a one nothing lead in the bottom of the first inning. But the Giants very clearly entered that game with a game plan to face Tyler McGill, who is, as we said, a budding ace in this league. And that was to attack him early and often and basically swing as much as the rules of baseball would allow you to do. And this is something the Giants also did last year, the first time they faced Tyler McGill, and the Mets had that weird back-to-back-to-back-to-back Giants-Dodgers-Dodgers stretching their season that completely sent uh, sent the plane into the mountain. But this plan does make a little bit of sense because something that we've harped on in this show is that Tyler McGill, while he is really good, he just will throw... 60% fastballs and will pound the zone. He didn't even have one walk coming into this game on the entire season. And in the first pitch, Tyler McGill only threw five pitches before he got out of it. And all three hitters swung at a first pitch fastball. And the second inning, an inning where he gave up four runs and four hits, it only took 14 pitches. These are absolutely bananas numbers for modern baseball. You know, I mean, like, to think that the Giants, especially a very patient team, they're yeah, a team generally. that likes to take a lot of pitches. They're even talking about Darren Ruff at one point in the series. He's a guy who almost never swings at the first pitch, and he was aggressive this series. The, all the Giants batters were aggressive, and that makes sense for Tyler McGill, who's a guy who pounds the strikes on like he does. He doesn't give up many walks, so like you said, why not come out swinging? And it did work, even though, besides what, the Jock Peterson home run? That was pretty... Jock Peterson home run, a couple of his singles in the second inning that were well struck. And even that second inning... Tyler McGill threw four first-pitch fastballs. Three of them were swung at, 75% rate. And then yeah. finally, he mixed in a first-pitch slider. And then after this, Tyler McGill found that adjustment and was able to battle and somehow get us through six innings in the first game of a doubleheader, which is incredibly important. But So important for him to get those six innings for us. In the starts where the guys didn't have it, that was something that they were able to do, was yeah. give us length, which is mm-hmm. so valuable. Yeah, that, that, those are the kind of things that add up over the course of a series that put you in a better chance to win your next game, which is what good teams do. And that team in the middle really will fail at. But... Back at Tyler McGill's adjustment. In those first two innings, he only threw two sliders and three change-ups versus 14 fastballs, which is, that's, you guys can hear the scales being tipped in one direction there. For the rest of that game, he threw 30 fastballs, 18 sliders, 16 change-ups, and four curveballs, which, as far as Tyler McGill's repertoire goes, that's almost as even as it's going to get him. No, it was really nice to see him make that adjustment, because that's the kind of thing that takes you from, like, that rookie pitcher Mm -hmm. who you have your bread and butter and you know what you're good at to actually pitching now. Because yes. Tyler McGill, while he did struggle early on, and again, the struggle, it's, it's like such a fake word at this point, he adjusted, and that's mm-hmm. that's huge. Huge for pitchers' development. Because we've even seen the guys on the Mets, like Max Scherzer make adjustments. Yeah. We see Carlos Carrasco make adjustments. We see all these veteran guys make adjustments, and that's what makes Tyler McGill look like the guy who's going to be a very, very big part of this rotation. And we see these guys hanging out incessantly. Yeah. There's never a point in a Mets game where you don't see multiple starting pitchers hanging out with each other, talking either between shooting the shit or actually sharing meaningful baseball knowledge. And it seems like this could even be rubbing off on Tyler. And even as he made the first adjustment, the Giants just didn't swing at any of his sliders the whole game. They swung at four, whiffed on zero, and he got four additional call strikes on it. As the pitch that has been a phrase I've used before, his primary secondary so far early in his career, he had to basically throw that one away too. And even with that, 
He broke out the curveball. He threw more changeups than he's been used to early on in his career. He varied his pitches in different counts, threw more fastballs when he was ahead, threw more changeups when he was behind. And he got him through six innings, I'll say it again, when he looked like it could be a very short outing early against a team that has one of, I know they don't look at it and they don't seem it, but it is one of the more prolific offenses in all of baseball. This was a game that we had circled. Tyler McGill, third time now in two seasons, yeah. facing the San Francisco Giants. Basically three months. Yeah. Both times last year were August. Yeah. So we were talking about how this was a test for the Mets. This was also a huge test for Tyler McGill. And you saw the Giants had a game plan, and it worked, and he was able to beat that game plan. Not yeah. a lot of people can beat the Giants game plan. And Tyler McGill, after he made the adjustment, he did. He was dominant after that. Yeah, B and B is a strong work. He did give up four runs. It's hard to say the guy had like a completely successful outing giving yes. up four runs, but he did. He settled in tremendously after the second inning, gave up no additional runs. And that, it seemed like, really gave the Mets a lot of confidence in an attempt to come back in this game. Kept him in the game. And we also got a little bit of help, too, because Alex Cobb, who was disgusting, throwing yeah. 97 and then a 91-mile-an-hour splitter that seemingly nobody could hit. I mean, I, I don't blame them. It's filthy. Got a big break when he pulled his groin on that weird play. Yes, literally. And on that weird play, it was when McNeil roped a two-run double, and then he called the trainers out right after that. So immediately now, you have the Giants bullpen in the game. Their middle relief is, I would say, good, not great. You're only down by one run, and you have a man in scoring position, and you have a pitcher coming in cold. Yep. And, and McNeil, that's the recipe. And it was, it was just, that's when City started rocking. The mm-hmm. vibes were there. We talked about this team, been having great vibes. Yeah. Game one, you could feel it. This Incredible. team, what's really cool about, I think, the Mets is that they are battling they're battling every game there's no giving up there's no sense of this game is out of reach at all and we'll see it a little bit later in this series as well but they fought back for this one and I really do think like we mentioned Tyler McGill keeping them in it was so important one of the most dangerous things you can do is keep a team close you want to bury them and the Giants did not bury the Mets in this first game and to hammer that sentiment home even more this was the bottom of the fifth inning and we mentioned Tyler McGill went six after the Mets had this three-run rally, after Alex Cobb left the game with an injury to tie the game, Tyler McGill pitched a 1-2-3 inning to finish off his day. Huge. As a pitcher for a team that's coming back, to be able to slam the door like that when you have another team seemingly on the ropes, you can't even you cannot overstate how much that does for a roster. No, it's it's absolutely massive. So excited Tyler McGill's a part of this team. So excited we called him the X-Factor before the season started. So excited that we've been on this guy's train from the beginning when we had people talking trash about him being a reliever, saying he can't AF. he can't cut it. He can't cut it as a starting pitcher. Boy, do you look stupid. Because this guy is definitely not only just cutting it. He looks like he can be a very, very good starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. We're only about a month away from getting the Tyler McGill All-Star train going. Literally. literally. Not even kidding. Yeah, literally. he looks great. I mean, in these last two starts, he's taken on two of the five best offenses in the National League. Yeah. And, of course, the Giants, the, again, I'm not going to say that you give up four runs and it's like this incredible outing, he loses an all-star, this and that, but the way that he pitched the last four innings of this game to really help give the Mets a chance to win, that is what experienced starting pitchers do. That's what guys who stick around this game for a very long time do, and that's what Tyler did. And then the bullpen came in, and how about our boy Joe Ellie? Yes. Clean inning My for Joe Ellie because he's good, and when he gets the guys he's supposed to be facing, shocker, he gets lefties out really well. Who would have thought? And no up-down. He, he almost had an up-down. Almost. And then, and then, and then there's a pinch that yanked him. 
which we're not a fan of the up-down for Joely by any no, means. No, it doesn't seem like it's going to work so far. But let's talk about the Lugo inning, because yes. Lugo is definitely a little bit of a conversation here in mm-hmm. Mets world about what's been going on here. He got into a little bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. We had the Crawford bloop. Then you had a beautiful bump by Tyro Estrada. Good ball player. Good shout, ball shout player. Shout him out before the series. Yes, you did. Shout him out before the series, and he, he made an impact. Yes. They didn't make any huge impact, no. but he's a good ball player. Someone that you would love to have on your team, by all yeah, means. he's their fiber. Yes, he is their fiber for sure. And then Lugo, I mean, like, again, dinked and doinked a little bit. Mm-hmm. Didn't really give up any loud or hard contact. But dropping the ball on the double play yeah. was Steve. kind of, it made me scared. It yes. made me feel uneasy. It went, uh-oh. Yes. This feels like the start of something bad. I mean, luckily, he was able to get out of it without giving up any more damage. Mm-hmm. But boy, oh boy, it was a little bit shaky. Although, I know you did some stats here. And mm-hmm. Lugo's maybe he's not struggling as much as we think. Yeah, I think it might be a situation similar to Joelle where the results actually have appeared so far worse than what's actually going on behind the hood. And we say it all the time that relievers pitch so infrequently and they pitch for so short amount of time that even one or two things going wrong over the course, especially with this small of a sample early in the season, this was Lugo's, what, fourth appearance of the year? Yeah. Maybe fifth, same with Joelle. You're, you're going to see the bloated six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 ERA and you'd be like, this guy sucks, he's falling apart, whatever, but... This was now back-to-back outings for Lugo, where his fastball velocity was back up to 94-95 we're used to from him. He's never been a 96-97 guy. Last two years, he sat right in between 94 and 95 miles an hour. And an adjustment that we both kind of hoped he would make offseason that he has actually made so far is throwing more fastballs and curveballs and throwing less sliders and sinkers. So both of those things happening means he looks good. And a guy I shout out a lot in the show, Eno Saris, the pitching god of the earth. He has a stuff plus metric that is available to subscribers to The Athletic. Lugo's significantly better in league average than that right now. Really what it comes back to is his location being an issue. And you have kind of seen that during his starts. He's missed with the curveball, not been able to get over for strikes, and his walk rate is a bit inflated so far, even though the sample, again, is not really indicative of what is going to happen. So I think a start like this where some things went wrong, but there wasn't really any hard contact, and Lugo battled through to get out of it, especially when a guy like him makes an error. Steven Duggar hits a ground ball. It's hard to turn to anyway, especially yeah. when it's to the first baseman. He got to the back. He couldn't catch the ball. Whatever. Steven Duggar, I think, is tied for the league leading stolen bases right now. The guy gets down the line. Top 20 sprint speed in the league. An outing like this, where you see Lugo's stuff be back, you see his pitch mix in the place you want it to be, and you see him f- battle through an inning, get out of it unscathed, keep a, keep a tied game tied, I, I'm very confident now. I'm more confident than I was last episode in Lugo moving forward. Yeah, I think... It's a step in the right direction. Big I don't. Th- I don't think he's back by any means. I no. don't think he's at sharpest. But again, short spring training too. He might yeah. be a guy who needs that time. He might be a guy who needs to get stretched out a little bit. Hopefully, as the game gets deeper and deeper, we start to see him return to that form. But he did get the job done, relatively sp- speaking, in game one. And then let's go ahead and jump to the ninth inning because yeah. we had to go up against Camilo Doval, who has just some of the most electric stuff in all of baseball. It's like an alien. Throwing a hundred, his slider moves just an insane amount, and the Mets kind of. Kind of played a little Giants baseball there yeah. and got to Camilo Doval. I get to him as a stretch because I don't even think there was a single ball put in play. They got to him. <laughs> they got to him. Camilo Doval walked Eduardo Escobar lead off the inning, and then he promptly walked Robinson Cano right after that. So in a tied game in the ninth inning, needing just one run to win, bottom of the ninth, the Mets had first and second nobody out. With that, Luis Guillorme, beardless for the first time that any of us have ever seen him. That was a sh- that sent shockwaves around the internet. Looking like Buzz Lightyear. Actually looking like Buzz Lightyear. He has an incredibly large chin. Yes, and now you can really see the, yeah. the dip in his yeah. mouth. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I even put that together. Can't, you can't tell with the beard before how much no, he's got. Right. dude's got a horseshoe in his mouth. <laughs> a chomper. But he laid down, as he often does, a very good sacrifice, but fundamental ball player Luis Guillorme is. Great piece of this roster. So now we have second and third and one out. 
facing a pitcher on the mound who was, while erratic, incredibly electric. And Travis Jankowski was due up. Yeah. And he gets the at-bat. Yes, with Brandon Nimmo on the bench. And Dom Smith. Yes. So the question there becomes why. It was confusing. Because, again, Nimmo was active for this game. Yeah. He came back from the COVID list. This was the big, you know, buzz. Was was Nimmo actually active? No, he was. Because we then later saw he came into the game. Yeah. In the top of the 10th for Jankowski for defense in what was a very, very weird double switch that didn't mm-hmm. involve a pitch. It was all over the place. Gary and the, the booth was just nonstop talking about it for that entire inning. Dom then hit instead of Nimmo two that mm-hmm. inning for what was it McCann I think or or Nito whoever was catching that game I don't specifically remember. I think McCann caught game one. Okay, so it was bizarre because when you think of the hierarchy of left-handed bats on this bench or even available in that moment, Nimmo's one. Yeah, Dom Smith's two. Yeah, so it didn't really make sense the way they went about this. The process was not clear. The process was not crisp there. It ended up working out for the Mets. In a way. Because, you know, (laughs) stumbled into that one a little bit. But it is a cause for concern. And something that we have spoke about before is that the pinch hitting situation, the handling of the bench at Mm -hmm. times doesn't make sense. And I still, two, three days later, thinking about this, I don't know why. Yeah, me neither. I mean, if you have to look at any logic at all for this, it's just the fact that Travis Jankowski is a guy who puts the ball in play, I'd say, more often than the average player. He's a guy who has generally run relatively low strikeout rates over the course of his career, but you look at a hitter like Brandon Nimmo, who's been so incredibly locked in this season. I do understand that Brandon Nimmo at this point hadn't hit in, what was it, five days? Yeah, a few days. Four days, so... Having a guy who hasn't hit in four days and then facing Camilo Duvall's 102-mile-an-hour fastball and sinker from the depths of hell, I mean, slather from the depths of hell, I can understand how that would be a scary proposition. But just, like, strip it all down for a second, logically in your head, similar to the Trevor Williams situation from two weeks ago. Needing literally just a ball in play to win the game. Because bottom of the ninth, tie game, man on third, one out. All it needs is a ball in play. Would I rather have Travis Jankowski hitting or Brandon Nimmo hitting? Yeah. I would pick Brandon with 10 times out of 10, even if he just rolled out of bed. Even like I would ask, like, Brandon, did you get in the cage today? Like, yeah, okay. Put on some gloves and get to the plate. It it was a bizarre decision. Again, it ended up working out. I will say he saved it a little bit because yes. he made that like that weird double switch. Who again saved with, it? Buck. Yes. Buck you saved it. Say his name. Yeah, of course. Got to mention Buck for everybody out there who's never going to say Buck does anything wrong. That's fine. Whatever. Does things right and does things wrong. Just does, like every other manager in baseball. Yes. It's just interesting what the discourse is when yeah. he makes a mistake and, as opposed to other Mets managers in the past. But hey, it ended up working out. He did make a good move, though, putting in Nimmo for technically the catcher spot, yes. which was the last out. So a when technical you, double switch, even without a pitcher being active. So yeah. all, your, all the other National League baseball fans like me, double switches are not dead. Yeah, double switches are not dead. I've never seen a double switch for just... Yeah. Well, this is the only time it would be pertinent unless you're bringing in a hitter who does you don't really want hitting similar to pitchers in the past. But the fact that the last out of an inning becomes the ghost runner, yeah. Dom pinch hit for McCann, who was double switched out for Nimmo, and then neither wound up taking the spot. Some, of whoever. Jankowski. Yes. So he was technically before Nimmo in the lineup I don't lineup know if it now. was Jankowski. Someone else. No, Jankowski came out of the game. Oh, he did? Okay, yeah, because yeah. Nimmo filled in for Jankowski. Yes. So it ended up working out because Nimmo gets on second base. Mets win the game. Yes. Our boy... Uh, Francisco Lindor, because he's the absolute man. He's so good. Game-winning hit. He had a series. We'll talk about that as we move on a little bit more. But my goodness, it's just it's nice to see the Mets play well. I mean, even Adovino in the 10th came in and did a really good job while making it a little close, mm-hmm. making it a little tight. 
But that's what happens with the guy on second base. It's always tight. Big ups to any reliever who gets through that inning without giving up a run. That is a such a massive victory. Another interesting decision that was made that wasn't really talked about again because the Mets won the game handedly and the exact that bat worked out. But when you don't give up a run in that tenth inning and you're the home team and you only need one run to win the game and based on again the rules of baseball you can only score one run. That was in my mind that is a must button situation. That's also a callback to just the previous inning when the Mets had first and second nobody out and Luis Guillorme. Just, again, needing one run to win the game. You move the man from second to third, which just went out, and you give yourself a better chance to score the run. Jeff McNeil, leading off the 10th, had that op- option. He was, did not square around to bunt, and he got quickly got spun around to an 0-2 count, and I was freaking out, losing my mind, that we're going to blow a chance to move Brandon with third base with one out. But Jeff McNeil, the professional he is, he hit the ground ball second base, and we got Brandon with third anyway, and then Lindor hit the walk-off single, so we didn't, we didn't need the bunt anyway. But that was another small gripe I had about Again, talking about process, the inning before you had Hitler up. I know they're very different hitters, Luis Guillermo and Jeff McNeil, but scoring one run wins the game. You're not, you can't score more. You're not allowed. So you want to get that guy from second to third any way you can. And a strikeout there would have been a true disaster. Yeah. Oh, it would have been yeah. It would have been bad. We spent even more than 20 minutes talking about this game. Yes. And honestly, it's probably going to be the most robust game because for sure. the, there rest was, were the rest were pretty straightforward for the most part. I mean, game two, we had Scherzer on the mound and... We saw Max Scherzer, guys. Yeah. We saw, saw Max Scherzer in City Field wearing the blue and orange. And that is the $30 million man we paid for. Holy shit, he's good. Oh, my God. This It finally felt like he arrived. Yeah. The two starts on the road. He pitched well, well enough to win. But he didn't do things that people around baseball have been accustomed to seeing Max Scherzer do. And this time he did. Going seven innings. 10 strikeouts. There was a stat that they talked about in this game. Scherzer hitting a some kind of threshold of 10 strikeout games. I want to say it was like triple-digit 10 strikeout games or something insane like that because they spoke about it a few times when he got the 10K, but whatever. 10 strikeouts, one hit allowed. He took the no-hitter through the fifth inning, which was crazy because this was a game I had planned to go to, but it chickened out because of the cold weather. So I was I was a little bit, I was kind of shitting myself during this <laughs> point in the game, but only allowed three hard-hit balls, one walk, one earned run. Absolute beast. He was just so good, and he's a psychopath as well. He, was, he didn't get a call or two. He didn't like how he pitched. There was a foul ball that got hit well, and he screamed. He was on the mound and screamed whatever obs- obscenity, obscenity, obscenity that he murmured, un- murmured underneath. Muttered? Hit, muttered, yeah, muttered, murmured, whatever it is. Underneath his breath, it was just like a foul ball that was hit like 250 feet. Yeah. Like when the, His reaction made me think it was crushed for a home run. Foul ball, no damage. I think he ended up getting the out. But it was so nice to see him be the player we paid for. He's so steady. He's so good. This is why we have him, to pitch big games, to beat good teams. And he just completely shut down the Giants. Yes. And it did get a little hairy for a second while he still had that no-hitter in the sixth inning. He did walk back-to-back players and allow the RBS single. And that was when he had the back-to-back walks. That was when the discourse was beginning. Oh, they're going to take him out and ruin his no-hitter. And I was like, well, this is, this is a very close baseball game. Yeah. I, re- I really want to win the game, especially as he, you know, he's getting near 100 pitches. And it seems like they're finally starting to get to him a little bit. But Scherzer kept the Giants off balance all night. He threw 40% fastballs and then a very clean 15% each. Slider, curveball, changeup, cutter. Just every single pitch all over the plate. Knew exactly where the ball was going. Got 33% whiffs overall. The guy was a complete stud. Just dominated again. One of the smartest teams in baseball. And then backpacking that off of the really strong offense performance. Piggybacking? Well, that's what I'm saying. Piggy, but you said backpacking. 
Uh, I say I meant to say piggybacking. Yeah, piggybacking. All right, you know you're not backpacking. I'm not backpacking. I never would. But piggybacking <laughs> off the incredible performance, the offense was also really strong and got to Logan Webb quick and early and knocked him out of this game for a guy who a lot of people consider to be one of the top 15 pitchers in this league. Mm-hmm. The best thing about this matchup, the Mets with Logan Webb, is that they very clearly had a plan of attack for him, very similar to how the Giants had that for Tyler McGill, and they executed it to perfection. First inning of this game. Francisco Lindor took a, a low sinker and just went with it to the opposite field and got a single. Next inning, as Eduardo Escobar did the same thing. As this was going on, the Mets were working deep counts. They were putting Webb behind. Next time Francisco Lindor came up, he was very ready for a changeup, yanked it down the line for what I think turned out to be an RBI double or an RBI that scored him a run. Yeah. Next inning after that, when they finally did chase Logan Webb from this game in the fourth, the fourth inning for a guy who some people had as a Cy Young pick before the season, Pete Alonso got down 0-2. He fouled off a couple tough breaking balls. He looked at a couple really close pitches, and he wound up working a walk, a Nimmo, if you will, being down 0-2. And he more or less threw his bat on the ground, pumped his fist, and like let out a scream of exalt into the Mets' dugout that were banging on the on the rail and looking back at him, being like, yeah, you did it. You worked a very tough at bat against a very good pitcher. And that just to see every single guy in the team like locked in and together against a pitcher who you knew you had to be very, very prepared to beat, that talk about vibes. Those are some vibes. And just knowing you have your ace on the mound and you want to do everything you can to get him a victory because he deserves it. I think that's a really good word to use too is that while we talked about the process in game one, mm-hmm. a little all over the place, I will say the players feel very, very prepared for every matchup. Together. They feel very unified. This feels like a team. Mm-hmm. We saw it at points in different years and different seasons at different times. But this team definitely has a good feeling. They definitely seem like they're one. I mean, even like, Lindor McNeil, who might have had a little beef in the past. Those guys are high-fiving. They're cheering. Yeah. McNeil smiling when he's getting out. That's something I never thought I would see. The vibes are immaculate. And I do think a big reason has to be with a lot of the guys that they brought in. Mm-hmm. One being Eduardo Escobar. Eddie Escobombs is an absolute beast. What is he, leading the league in doubles right now? Sure is. He's so good. You guys know I love a good double. And that's why I was so happy about Eduardo Escobar because I said, doubles machine. Something the Mets couldn't do last year, it felt like. We couldn't hit doubles. No. And he's leading the league in doubles. I'm yes. so, I'm through the mo- to the moon that Eduardo Escobar is playing exactly how I hoped. Absolutely. Had the two-ribby double in this game that wound up chasing Logan Webb. And knocking Logan Webb out in the fourth inning, that's, that's again, in and of itself crazy. That was the shortest outing that he's had since he got good last July. That was July 9th of last year. That was the last time he did not complete four innings. And this is just the second time since July 21st of last year, Logan Webb didn't finish five innings. And this is a guy who handled the mess pretty easily last year. Very different team, but it just really shows the growth of this offensive unit that we were able to get to. Again, someone who's perceived to be as one of the better pitchers in the National League and knock him from a game, and get into a Giants bullpen, who had to pitch a lot of innings in the first game because Alec Cobb had to leave with an injury. Yep. Now, the Mets Mets were really, really good. Lindor hitting four for nine overall in the double header. Pair of doubles, stealing bases, driving in runs. Almost had a home run. Yep. So close. That dude's locked in. He's mm-hmm. the MVP player we paid for, guys. And he's been unbelievably good. It's crazy to say that we have to have this conversation. Yeah. But... You have to feel so stupid. You have to talk about real egg on your face to say how bad Lindor was last year and think that was going to be the player he was going to be for this New York Mets team. This is the Francisco Lindor I think we're ready for. I think Mm -hmm. this is the Francisco Lindor we're going to continue to see. He is so locked in. He's so comfortable. He's so, so good. He's just in complete control of everything going on around him, seemingly at all times. The way he's working the count the way he's taking free bases, the way he's not striking out. Not striking out at all, and he's still walking at like over 10%. Like his, he had an on-base streak up until game three. He was on base every game this year. Yes, 
That's huge. It's huge for a guy hitting at the top of the order, especially and for power. And that's why Pete and Escobar, all these guys, have these huge RBI numbers too. Canna. The the top of the order is getting on base so much, and Lindor is a huge, huge part of that. Absolutely. It's just it's a pleasure to see the guy that we traded for and paid for excelling for the first time in his Mets career. Looks comfortable. Looks really comfortable. Looks happy. Thrilled. To be a New York Met. Yeah, He's yeah. fitting real nice Charisma. in that orange and blue. Yeah, it's, it's the guy we've been waiting for. Dom Juice. Smith, also a little bit off the schneid. Good yeah. RBI single, mm-hmm. which is nice because Dom had been struggling early in the season. Hadn't really been making a lot of contact. Looked better in game two. And then we finish it with a clean Trevor May save. Filling in because Diaz got game one. Yes. Trevor May, way to step up, dude. Yes. Needed that. No drama. Our boy. Great sweep of the doubleheader. Fantastic mm-hmm. feeling. Great going into game three. Yeah, buzzing after this game. Absolutely. Simply buzzing. Absolutely buzzing. We needed to come in, though. Maybe a little more buzzing, though, because game yeah. three, we were up, going we up were against... We were buzzing. I said they were buzzing. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. were buzzing. Yeah, we were buzzing, of course. Game three, though, going up against Carlos Rodon, who you've heard the boys talk about all offseason long. Mm-hmm. Is, he was my number one target. He yeah, was the guy I wanted job. all offseason long. And he was just really good. The second offseason. What? The second offseason. Yeah, the second offseason. He was just really good. He was yeah. sick. He was disgusting. He was unhittable. And, like, that's, that's kind of the picture that we thought we would see wherever he goes. Feels like he's got a nice little home in San Francisco. Yeah, statistically right now, Carlos Rodon is the best pitcher in baseball. And it's pretty evident to see why. And it even helps him a lot that before he got to the mound, he was handed a very crispy 3 nothing lead. Yeah, Bassett did not have it early on. They no. were figuring him out, kind of like McGill jumping on him. But dissimilarly to McGill, where the Giants were like locked in, hitting hitting fastballs, turning them around to big velocity, this was a lot of dinks and dunks, a lot of base hits, guys coming around, first to third, shit like that. Opening up the game, Yastrzemski hit a blooper that cannot just his first game playing the outfield in a couple of days, took a step back, and wound up not being able to get in on the ball. He did the same thing the next play, but Francisco Lindor bailed him out, just coming across the diamond like... Like an NFL wide receiver bursting through the middle of the field. Incredible catch on a pop-up. And then Darren Ruffer into a tough walk or a couple close calls. Jock laced a double. Really only hard hit ball I recall. Bassett yeah. giving up. And then Crawford bloop. Wilmer Flores. Nice easy base hit. And boom. It was 3-0 before you could even blank in the ballpark. Yeah, and Rodon just shoved. I mean, yeah, he, he, he took that lead and shoved down the throat. I mean, the Nim okay. You saw that. You're like, oh, yeah, it looks, it looks pretty dominant. Completely overpowered Mets hitters. Carl's Rodon stepping on the mound with 3-0 lead. And then the Mets promptly looking uncompetitive with a Nimmo strikeout, very weak Starling Marte ground ball, and the Lindor lazy foul pop-up to the first baseman. You're thinking, uh-oh, this might be a long one. Yeah, and then it got added on the second inning where Brandon Belt, the birthday boy who is statistically horrendous on his birthday. Yeah. I think he's like 0 for 18. And first year he was in the big leagues on his birthday. He was sent down after the game. Which, that's that's not good vibes. No. Crush one. Yes. Crush one into the Pepsi corner. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola corner Pepsi. Coca-Cola. Whatever, whatever it's called now. Down 4 I mean, nothing. Just a guess again that, right? Yeah, I guess I got to start getting that right. I th- I'm confident it's called the Pepsi. It is 100% the Coca-Cola corner. Was it used to, it used to be Pepsi? 100% used to okay, be. Okay, that's what it is. Yeah, they that's made that change like a few years in. Not a place I frequent too often. No, I mean, you got to do more than that. Me, more than me, at least. Okay, that's fair. But I also go to more games than you, probably. It's true. I'm, I'm a man who likes to watch a good Tuesday night game by myself. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, down 4 nothing. Yastrzemski, RBI single, 5 nothing, And the Mets were completely just at a stalemate. Couldn't, could not hit Carlos Rodon in. I'm not even mad. I'm not even mad. He's no, just he's so one of good. he's one of the best pitchers in baseball when he's healthy. He looks healthy. He was pumping the fastball. Everything was working for him. He was dominating. You're going to run into that. It's a long season. You can't always hit the best pitchers in baseball and knock them out early. No, he's got a strikeout to walk ratio of around six right now. Six strikeouts per walk, which is just unbelievable. The Mets only had two hard to balls the entire game. And I don't usually break down the other pitchers, but this is meaningful enough. Carlos Rodon threw over 80% fastballs in this game. 
and almost all of them were up in the zone, and the Mets had absolutely no chance to even find it. They had no semblance of a chance against this fastball for most of the game. Thank God he only pitched five innings. He did get eight strikeouts in those five innings for all my gamblers at home out there, but... This was just a dominant pitcher doing dominant things. That's what happens. And I think it's also worth noting, too, that while Chris Bassett did have his early struggles, mm-hmm. he somehow went six innings. Yeah. And was that, that was a big six innings, as mm-hmm. weird as it sounds. Like, you probably shouldn't have taken him out anyway because he did settle in. And he was he, at, like, 100 pitches. Yeah, he was at, like, 100 pitches. He pitched fine after the struggles. Even during the struggles, he didn't really pitch that bad. Like, he was just, like, they were just hitting singles, and they were finding holes. He only gave up five hard-hit balls the whole whole game. Six innings, got six strikeouts, one walk. It's just they found it. And... It's amazing. In every single game of the series, including this one, the Mets starter went longer than the Giants. Yeah. And that gave them a bullpen advantage that we you really were able to feel. And that is a big reason why the Mets got back into this game. The fact that for three straight games, the Mets had a starting pitcher go at least six innings, your good relievers were ready. And in a situation like this, where you're down by a few runs early, you need guys to keep the door shut if you want a chance to get back in. And then things got a little bit interesting. We fast forward here to the seventh inning. Mets, Mets rally a little bit. Mm-hmm. We talked about Rodon. Getting knocked out of the game. Well, he didn't get knocked out. I shouldn't say knocked out. No, no, he leaving the game. Yeah, he left the game on his own accord. <laughs> Gabe Kapler in his wizard's cloak removes yeah. him from the game for some reason. Can we talk about that real quick? Yeah, uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if you guys have seen it on TV. Tweet us if you can. But Gabe Kapler for the first couple games this series, cold games, cold games, mind you, cold night. And Gabe Kapler is a manager in San Francisco, cold place most of the summer. He was wearing this Giants pullover. It might have been just a regular zip-up jacket. I think pullover. it was. Yeah, it was some kind of black-looking cloak that went. Basically to his knees, but it would like looked light. Like it wasn't like one of those big, thick, burly winter jacks you see walking around New York. It was like split in the middle in the back. It looked like something a like a conductor would wear to a symphony, an orchestra. Yeah, it was split. It had yeah. uh, like the the tails or yeah. whatever they call it. It's like a, an Assassin's Creed side character. It was awkwardly long because you so just long. you saw like his calves because he was yeah. wearing high socks too. Like I think the whole getup black yeah. made me visibly uncomfortable. Yeah. I did not like the cloak. I mean, it's Gabe Kapler. He's going to do whatever he wants. He's a little out there. He's a little out there. But here we go. Seventh inning rally. Our boy Luis Guillorme, who had a really nice weekend, got a lot of play this weekend as well, which is nice to see because he's a good ball player. We talked about it last year a lot that we thought he was going to have a really big impact on this team last Mm -hmm. year. And it feels like after shaving the beard, the beardless wonder, he got on base six times this series. Yes. Started three games. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a really productive guy to have on your bench. Played shortstop. Played second. Mm -hmm. We know he can play third. Like, he's wow. a really, really nice player to have here, which is nice to see because we called this last year. It's just coming to fruition now. Yeah, and this is something we might start to see a little bit more of because as our traditional DHs that we have on this roster between Dominic Smith and Robinson Cano, as they maybe continue not to hit as well as some people, I'm sure especially internally, hope they would hit, if you're not getting big production from a bat like that at DH, you might as well just get your best defender in the game more often and then let one of your regular guys get a blow. Like Thursday's game, let Francisco Lindor DH, Pete Alonso. Much has been made about his success at DH this year. Get Jeff McNeil a day, get Brandon Nimmo a day. Then you mix in the Cano, the Smith. But just as traditional DHs don't hit, the Mets are going to have the opportunity to use the DH the way it's probably most advantageous to be used, the way that we harp that should be used in the offseason by getting better defense out there and then giving your starters a rest so we can stay more injury-free. And he's an on-base machine. He's an on-base machine, too. He has great at-bats. There's yes. very few times where pitches. He, very few times he goes down one, two, three. No. I, I would love to actually know what the stat is, but got on base, one out walk. McCann struck out, but then Nimmo, our boy, mm-hmm. he's so good. He's yes. so good. Big two-out knock. Starlin Marte fouls it up with an RBI single, mm-hmm. and the place was bumping. It, it had the feeling of, we're going to do this again. Yes. We are going to do this again with Lindor coming up to the plate. First and third, two outs. Pete on deck. You have the, the meat of your order. And Starlin Marte goes. On the first pitch. Steals second. It's first pitch. tough. So we found out why. He has the green light. When Starlin Marte yeah. wants to steal, 
he has the he has the right to. And after the game, he said it's because he wanted to get in scoring position. He felt that there was a chance to get in scoring position with Lindor and Pete coming up to really make this game interesting. While he's technically not wrong, no, it, it, that's true. That's a true statement. He would get in scoring position if he stole second. <laughs> I think for one of your hottest hitters coming up, and even after that, your two best hitters on this entire team, in Francisco Lindor and P. Alonso, far. yes, are coming up with the place jumping. And we had whoever was pitching was on the ropes. Was it Tyler Rogers at this point? No, Tyler Rogers was the eighth inning weirdness. I think okay. it was your boy, Leon. Oh, yeah, the Clemson asshole. Dominic Leon. Yeah. I have a real hatred for Clemson. Sorry, Clemson listeners out there. But <laughs> as a Gamecock, I have to do it. On the ropes. Mm-hmm. Getting nice hits, loud. moving around loud. The place was jumping, like we said, sucked the air out of the place. And Marte was visibly pissed. He was yes. visibly upset. I think, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm sure if he really thought about it a little bit longer, yeah. he's not going. And I don't even know if there's a, a sign that if Buck was managing this game because... One of these. Yeah, one of these. Don't run. Hey, <laughs> no. we're not stealing. And you saw when he came up later in the game, he took like a, f- a foot yes. lead. And he so, looks very even like, sorry, Marte, usually like he's popping his chest out, see the chains, jersey button open. He looked very like the but you could see the buying language. He was sullen. Yes. The rest of the game after this cost, which I don't want to see any player in the team ever having bad buying language. But it's just like he, he kind of knew he did something wrong. And Charlie Marte again, he has earned the credit to have this green light all the time, and he has earned the credibility to say I can steal a base in a situation where it's probably not traditionally expected or even helpful, possibly in a way, and I could be able to do it. Like I was expecting if Charlie Marte was going to steal a base there. That the pitcher is so locked in for Francisco Lindor, yeah. that you're getting a running start. You're already halfway there before he's even in set. Like you're you blaze to that base. It's like a two strike steal because yeah. at the absolute worst, then like next inning you bailed him out of a tough at bat, or, or it's or it's a it's a steal where it's like I'm 100 percent going to make it. Like yeah. and you see guys like Starlin Marte, really savvy veteran base stealers. They know pitches. They know they know pitchers. They know cadences. They know situations. They know when no they're not being looked at, and you can take a Mongo lead and just go ballistic on it. But it didn't happen. It just it felt like maybe the situation was really big. Sorry, Marte. How many times has he played in front of a, a, a loud crowd between the Pirates, Diamondbacks, and Marlins? A's. I'm sure. Yeah, the A's. I'm, I'm sure he was vibing. I'm sure yeah. he was feeling the probably vibes too. He's he probably like, oh man, if I could steal a base here, we could really get crazy. Yeah. It didn't end up working out. Again, it's not why we lost the game. No. Just narrative stuff Something that we happened. have to talk about. And then the eighth inning yeah. also got weird because really weird. anytime Tyler Rogers, who throws essentially underhand and throws about 80 miles an hour, takes the mound, it's going to get weird. And he made us look bad multiple times last season and during the doubleheader. So Tyler Rogers, it seemed like to this point, had the Mets number. And Lindor, sharp line out, mm-hmm. thinking, ooh. So it's, it's a hard hit ball. We don't really see too many hard hit balls. Then Pete got the single. Mm-hmm. Then Eddie Escobom got the single. And then Mark Canna gets an RBI. Marky Cheerios. Fiber. 500, oh, like 600 on base percentage yeah. on Marky Cheerios. Fiber one over there. Getting another hit for us. Great. And now we have a situation where there are two men on. We're down by three runs. And J.D. Davis is due up at the plate. J.D. Davis started this game against left-handed pitcher Carlos Rodon. It seems to be his role. He actually started third base in this game. We need, so many other things have happened this series. We totally forgot to mention that J.D. Davis played third base yesterday. Played it fine. Yeah, he did good. He had that one play where it was like a little like little stab. He got a little scared of the ball. But hey, J.D. Davis, nothing else, has an absolute cannon. He did make some nice plays over there, whatever. But after Rodon left the game, J.D. Davis stayed in to face right-handed reliever John Brebbia, and he hit a 107-mile-an-hour screamer that found the left fielder's glove. I don't remember if Yaz was in left field this game or whatever, but whatever. Hit a, hit a very hard line drive against the right-handed pitchers. So you're thinking, okay, Jay Davis is a good hitter, objectively. Yeah. We've never been afraid that Jay Davis facing right-handed pitchers. It's not like he has insane platoon split. It's not like he's it's not like he's not good at this. Like This is something that seems to be okay. And then Robinson Cano came up and pitched it for him. Which, 
I really do think in that situation, I know we talk about process and in, technically Cano has the advantage, right? Yes. Because the left-handed, right-handed, you know, platoon thing. In this exact situation, I would say like if you put this one at-bat in a vacuum, I'd say yes. There's probably a better likelihood that Rob Cano gets a hit off of Tyler Rogers than J.D. Davis. But the fact that the Mets now started this brigade of pinch hitters coming up after this, especially when... Jeff McNeil also didn't start this game similarly to Robinson Cano against Carlos Rodon. It made everything not fit together as well. And also have to mention that Buck Alter was not managing this game. No. This game was managed by committee, the Mets said, between... Um, between Hefner, Chavez, and Dick Scott. Yes. So it was a three-headed monster that they were self-proclaimed. And it, it kind of showed, because really, at the end of the day, if Cano's going to be the first guy off the bench... That includes McNeil and Dom. We, we know the hierarchy. We talked about that before. It's McNeil, Dom, Cano. Yeah, sure. If you looked at the other games in the series, especially back in the weekend when Brandon Nimmo wasn't active, Jeff McNeil was leading off. Yeah. If you think that Jeff McNeil is better, enough better than Robinson Cano to lead off while Robinson Cano hits fifth or sixth, it's hard for me to reason how or why Jeff McNeil should be the third bat off the bench against Tyler Rogers. And especially because McNeil could play third. Yes. And we saw him play third. The next inning, he came out to play defensively, which was even more confusing that we then didn't even get to use his pinch at the next inning. Yeah, especially also because Dominic Smith pinch hit for Luis Guillorme the at-bat after this. Luis Guillorme is a left-handed batter, and he's had some very nice at-bats this series. And Dom, I would say, hasn't had that many nice at-bats. So for some reason, if you put all these five hitters together between J.D. Davis, Jeff McNeil, Dominic Smith, Robinson Cano... Luis and Luis Guillorme, you said, and we're going to give that bat to guaranteed Dom Smith and Robinson Cano. I would tell you, I don't really know if that's the exact order I put them in. Tyler Rogers did end up getting out of this unscathed. Robinson Cano hit a lazy ground ball that didn't wasn't a double play, thank God, and got the runners over. And then Dom Smith came up, and he did do what he had to do. He hit a screamer. The Wilmer Flores leapt in the air, caught basically a snow cone in his glove. Wilmer Flores is like one of the least athletic athletic people I think I've ever come across. He really? never made a play like that for the no. Mets. I love Wilmer. He never yeah. made a play like that at the, at the hot corner. <laughs> Wilmer? No. Please, he's a first baseman, but he made a huge play. He made, made an impact this series. Yeah. Wilmer's a good ball player. Then, but then now you're in a situation where you just pinch hit for two of your infielders between J.D. Davis and Luis Guillorme. So now Ramos Cano had to stay in the game for defense, come and play second base. And we've said in the past that there shouldn't be that many situations for this Mets team where Ramos Cano is playing defense after the seventh inning. And then without using Jeff McNeil's bat, you now had to sub him in to play third rather than second, which is a position he's significantly seems like less comfortable at, given the fact he's only played five total innings there in the last full season since the beginning of 2021. And he was slotted into the, the bottom of your batting order. And the other thing that's confusing too, yeah, bottom of the batting order, he was going to pinch hit for Jeff, James McCann if that spot did come up. He was on deck yes. when Dom was up. And now it's just McCann's hitting because you, who are you pinch hitting for? And that, that's why I mentioned that thing before about the Cano for JD pinch hit makes sense in a vacuum. But the fact that you had to use Jeff McNeil anyway if you're pinch hitting for JD Davis and you weren't going to be able to save him for a potential at-bat later in the game for James McCann, a guy that the Mets have shown an um, inclination to pinch hit for in the past, it just seemed like a bad use of three bench players, an inefficient use of three bench players here. And this, again, could be because Buck was not there. I think that's yeah, a real possibility. Yeah, I think it's a real possibility. Hefner, Chavez, Come. Dick Scott, I don't think have any managerial experience. So No, no, no. They're, they're, Eric Chavez and Jeremy Hefner are significantly closer to being actual baseball players than yeah. being managers based on their age and experience. So maybe it showed. McCann ended up actually walking in the ninth, but that was it. That was ball yeah. game. They lost. You're going to yeah. lose games. Yes. Giants are a 107-win team. It stunk because that was winnable, mm-hmm. but at the same time, 
two of three at the point at the moment. Yes. Still feeling good going into game four with Carlos Carrasco on the mound, going up against Tony Desclafani, who we know is susceptible to get hit hard. Home runs. Yep. And Carlos Carrasco, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Got something here, Mets fans. Cookie is friggin' back. Oh my goodness. Before you go into the numbers, let's just let's keep in mind here that the Mets got Francisco Lindor mm-hmm. and Carlos Carrasco essentially for Andres Jimenez mm-hmm. and Ahmed Rosario. Yes. I mean, are we ki- are we kidding me? Look, looking, I know Monday morning quarterback here, theft of the century. Insane, absolutely insane. The way these guys are playing early on in this season, even even the way they played last season, it was still a pretty good trade. It was fine trade. Yeah. It's, it's not like Rosario or Jimenez are breaking down barriers. No, here. and to have these two guys when Carrasco pitches like this and Lindor swinging the bat like he has, and we saw it in this game too. My God, I mean Carrasco, this is the guy. Yes. We thought we were getting last year. 100%. This is a guy who could be a very stable middle of the rotation pitcher. A guy who's basically an auxiliary too, the way he's pitched so far this season. And to have a guy like this in the back end of your staff, to be able to trust him to finish off a very good team and just tie a bow on a very hard-fought series with tons and tons of close games, 50-50 plays, big decisions that impacted every single thing after that. Like, holy crap. And to do it with the cleanest start. He's had as a Met in the year plus he's been here. The first time any Mets pitcher this year is pitched into the eighth inning through seven and two thirds, seven strikeouts, no walks, goose egg, baby, only four hits allowed, two earned runs, and just four hard hit balls against a, a team who usually hits the ball very hard, Barrel Kings from last year. This was Carrasco's first time working into the eighth inning since 2019 before his diagnosis, mind you. He retired 18 in a row at one point as he cruised through the middle innings of this game, at a time when most Pitchers and managers a little bit scared of the pitchers facing a line through the third time. Carlos Carrasco is throwing his best ball of the entire game. And his stuff, every single pitch looked just freaking magical. His slither. Holy shit. Like, we were watching the game together, and there were a few that you saw just duck out of the bottom of the zone that made me, like, audibly gasp. I was like, that is the Carlos Carrasco slither. I was seeing 2017, 2018, when this guy was a Cy Young candidate for Cleveland. No, he was absolutely dominant. And he gave the Giants, who we know are one of the smarter teams, who do a lot of stuff differently, but it usually works. He gave them a really, really tough time. I mean, absolute madness. they, They could not touch this guy. He was absolutely disgusting. He was great. If he can give us seven innings... Yeah, that's huge, Fall especially when we have this bullpen problem yes. that people like to say, even though we know that's not true. I think the Mets' bullpen, again, I'll knock on some wood right now, but I think they haven't given up a run in like 10 straight innings, 14 straight innings, something like that. Yeah, like they that's huge. That's huge to continue on with this dominant starting pitching that the Mets have had all year long for a guy like Carlos Rasco to have basically five pitches, use them all effectively. Yeah. It, it makes him so much harder to face and prepare for. And it seemed like the Giants were pretty much on their heels the whole game, not knowing what pitches were going to come. I talked about the slider. That pitch was lethal. I like got 50% whiffs and five more called strikes. That's just, they had no chance to hit it. His four-seam fastball, actually, his most thrown pitch in this game, had no whiffs at all, but it had 10 called strikes. So the Giants, when it, this pitch was coming, either Carrasco dotted it so well in the black, which he did many times today, or they just weren't prepared for it because he was able to throw it in an account that surprised them. And his changeup, Every single pitch doing their own job generate just a ridiculous amount of soft contact. It was every single thing was working for him. Just, this is the guy that I thought we were going to get last year, and it's, it brings me so much joy to see him now. Jeremy Hefner. I'll just always, I'll always, anytime a pitcher does well, it's it's credit to Jeremy Hefner because Imagine. we did see him struggle last year. There were struggles, and he looks like a, just like you said, the pitcher we were expecting, yes. the pitcher of old for a guy who's a little bit up there and had some issues. He looks absolutely fantastic, and the bats. 
The bats did help a lot too. Francisco mm-hmm. Lindor, we talked about him having a weekend. We talk about him in the MVP conversation right now. I know mm-hmm. we're 12 games into the 13 games into the season, whatever it is. But I will continue to bang that drum until I can bang it no more. Francisco Lindor is an absolute beast. He's an absolute stud. He is playing like one of the best players in baseball. We saw, this has kind of nothing to do with his play right now, but we saw Fangraphs adjusted uh, F4 yeah. to be now outs above average to say UZR. He was a four-win player last yeah. year. Like, the worst year of his career. The worst year of his career was a four-win player. Just generally an all-star caliber. We saw him make plays defensively. We saw him swing the bat. We didn't talk about it because the guy had such a great weekend. Who gives a shit about the bad throw that he made? Like, it just... <sighs> It doesn't matter. He was so... We memed it. We didn't even talk about it. I know. <laughs> but that's how that's how insignificant it was because yeah. it ended up being okay. Pete made mm-hmm. a great play. But Lind- about Jeff McNeil not bunting in the 10th inning of that game. <laughs> I know. And not Francisco Lindor's throw, which made everyone have a small heart oh, attack. And man. I was, was really sweating because yeah, I've, the Lindor haters are chomping at the bit. It's nice that we can forget about those close plays because he's doing so much at the plate. Like, that's... It's, it's so nice. I can't wait. I can't wait for the idiots to stop talking stop chirping he's here he's good he's an mvp caliber player this is the 300 million dollar man there was an article that came out last year in the washington post that i just i reeled i think the pieces over and over again last year and i'm still calling it back attention to it because it was by neil goldberg who doesn't seem to know very much about baseball especially baseball statistics and he he gave all these stupid poorly paraphrased bad sample size poorly educated numbers on how and why Francisco Lindor was actually in a in a in a stretch that meant his career was over, and I shouted it out after uh, after actually the doubleheader, yeah, saying that Francisco is incredible. And there were two dudes, a Mets fan and a Yankee fan, in the replies. I hope the Mets fan is listening to this. In the replies on that tweet, fighting for almost two full days. I love that back back and forth, like thirty straight messages about he's good, he's bad, he's good, he's bad, he's good, he's bad, different reasons. So just everyone, we got Francisco Lindor. This guy is a true superstar in his own right, and. Such a fantastic baseball player that you want on your team day in and day out and be glad you have him. Fantastic. We also got a bomb. The first actual bomb Escobar. of the year from Eddie Esco Bombs. I just, I love watching this guy it's play. It does. It's my fucking boy. Like, I got, I got to get an Escobar shirt or jersey at some point. It could, feels... Could make some Esco Bomb shirts. Maybe I know. his face, like, black outline with, like, the dynamite thing coming out the top. That could be a pretty good one. That's actually kind of cool. I, I like that. If you guys want to see it, let it know. Let yeah. us know if, you're, if you made it this far and you're listening. But just like having those guys carry this offense, this game was really nice. I mean, Nito even made an impact today. Mm-hmm. Sack fly. We had yeah. a hit. The Mets did a hit and run yep. with Luis Guillorme because, of course, they did it with Luis Guillorme. And Travis Jankowski. And Jankowski, which is that's how those guys should be used. Yes. That is what they're good at. The Mets are putting their guys in situations to succeed. They're using the players the way they are meant to be. Canna, clutch two out. Two RBI single. I mean, Marky Cheerios. I love, the, the, I love this guy. And that put the game right out of the reach, too. It got very comfortable after that. Super, super clean win. The way the Mets have played most of their games this year have been really clean, clean wins. And what's crazy to say is the four games we've lost were all winnable. Mm-hmm. We were in those games. Yes. We blew a couple of them. Yes. Those, were, those were games we should have won, in theory. Two we blew, and two we had chances to get back in it that we just didn't take advantage of. And you know what? I'm feeling really, really good about this team. I'm, I'm feeling high. I'm feeling high, too, and we should be because, one, this is our show. Of course. And, two, we, we love the Mets in an unhealthy amount. But I do want to call attention to, I told you this the other day, one of my, uh, something that one of my friends said who actually works for the Houston Astros in a biomechanics department. He's a sharp guy down in Florida. But he said that people around baseball, especially this Astros team, they have a saying about the Mets. And it's that no one cares more about April victories than the New York Mets. And you know what? Fuck them. Fuck them. 
April victories matter just as much as September. Yes. There is no difference. They all mean the same One at the win. end of the season. The more wins you get in April, the more wins you have at the end of the season. So, yeah, uh, be mad at us for being excited that the Mets have the best record in baseball mm-hmm. 14 games into the season or however many it is. Sure. 14, oh, 15, whatever it is. You know what? I don't care. That's, that's how good we're feeling. We just know we are the best. Mets have the most hits and the most runs in the whole league right now. They have played at least one more game than most teams, sure, mind you, but the Mets have more hits and more runs than any other team in baseball. And could you imagine hearing that eight months ago? Uh, can you imagine hearing that a month ago when everyone yeah. was talking about how this lineup didn't have enough? Yeah, well, it so, didn't have enough? There's going to be a cold streak coming. I mean, we're, For we're, sure. We're having a great time right now. Mark Hanna's batting average on balls in play is approaching 600. He can't get out. No, he's the guy's on first base every single bat at minimum. He was born to play in New York. <laughs> Mark Hanna was born to be a New York Met. All these guys... It's just everything feels like it's coming together. The vibes are immaculate. Everybody is making an impact at some point, which is really, really nice to see. I just, I feel so good about this Mets team. I feel so good about Francisco School Indoor. Everything is just, feels so good. We completely handled last year's best team in baseball, who had five straight, and people can say, oh, it was last year, it was last year. They had five straight wins coming into this game. They were the hottest team in baseball as well. This team, it's hard to beat them. They do a lot of things right. They take advantage of every single mistake that you make. They have a lot of hitters. They have a lot of pitchers. They're clutch. They're smart. And the Mets just, kind of spun him around and gave him a spanking this was a test a plus a plus flying colors right flying colors for the new york mets great series against the san francisco giants leading into an away series going Mm -hmm. up against the dimebacks but before we do talk about that you guys know midweek episode quick prospect report short one long episode here so much to talk about with the games but uh let's talk about some of our guys out here yeah well first off i mean instead of prospect report we should name this the weekly francisco alvarez segment because the guy's just a revelation in terms of baseball. He's actually has had a very rough week. His OPS has dropped from 1,400 to 1,300. So, oh, dude, send him down. Some, definitely something to keep an eye on. Maybe you should go back to Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, go back to Brooklyn, figure it out. The guy doesn't know what he's doing. Did you see the fake double he got going up against the Portland Sea Dogs? No. They have like a green monster in left field, which almost looks bigger than, than the actual green monster. I think that's just the thing the Red Sox do is they like people to learn how to hit with the green monster. Yeah. So all their stadiums have it. He put one off the top of that. So... He probably should have could have had another home run. And he did hit another home run this week, and he had the other ball last week that scorched off top of the wall. Also, yeah. did you see his performance in the uh, the, the Rumble Ponies brawl from he Thursday night? He was ripping people off. He, he got on top of someone who threw a punch at his pitcher, so guy's a beast. Yep, I like it. Playing really good baseball. And then let's talk about a guy that you mentioned last year. Yes. Who's got a little love from Keith Law this year, maybe a little premature, but he's starting to look right here. Alex Ramirez is tearing up a wall. Yeah, I'm going to take credit for being one of, I think, the first people on the whole internet to, Without to make a, a comment about Alex Ramirez. A couple of the prospect guys out there I know have been on him, but this guy in St. Lucie is tearing the absolute cover off the ball right now. He struggled there tremendously last year. He was a battle league average, I say tremendously. He was a battle league average hitter who was striking out more than 35% of the time, which he was an 18-year-old playing against mostly 20, 21, 22-year-olds, so... Him even being league average with a lot of strikeouts was like worrisome to the fact that maybe he won't be a top prospect striking out this much, but the fact that he held his own, that's a good sign. He's back in St. Lucie this year, and I'll tell you, this guy was fucking ready to rumble. He's batting 500 through nine games with a 722 slug right now. Four doubles and two triples. Now he's got a ball over the wall yet, but that's going to come. And you know what I'm most excited about for Alex Ramirez? What do you got for me? Through these nine games, my guy is striking out just 12% of the time. That That's unbelievable stuff. Coming from a guy who's striking out the same level over 30% of the time last year, this is the first step to being a potential top 20 prospect, the kind of guy who is, has national acclaim. And this is the, the trajectory that Alex Ramirez could be on if he continues in this torrid stretch, and I love to see it. Growth and development. It's yes. nice to see a player of his age. He's, what, 19 years old, I think? Yeah. 
develop like that, playing like he is. He still is young for the league, by Incredible. the way. He's one of the youngest players in this league. Yeah, he's, he's a really fun prospect to keep an eye out for. And as we will, the entire year during our prospect reports, keep telling you about these young guys. Now, let's mm-hmm. finish up the episode here by talking about the Diamondbacks preview. It's simple. It's easy. We saw them last weekend, yeah. not too long ago. The Diamondbacks stink. This team is not good. And... We need to step on their throats. We have to absolutely dominate them. Yeah, I want to make some rattlesnake soup after this one. <laughs> That's got to be disgusting. I couldn't even imagine eating rattlesnake. I bet it's eaten in the world. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I Probably in Arizona. At the stadium, they might have <laughs> rattlesnake soup. At the stadium, that'd be gross. That almost be like a bad omen because your team is the Diamondbacks. That's true. Yeah. yeah. No, they, uh, you make other soup. Giant soup. Dodger yeah, giant soup. soup. Rock That's soup. Rock soup. <laughs> <laughs> Awful. <laughs> but what are the pitching match- matchups here, James? I know, I know one day we both have... Nobody scheduled. Yeah, Saturday's going to be weird. Neither team has a pitcher schedule for Saturday. It made a lot of logical sense for that to be Corbin Martin's day because he threw a two-inning relief outing on, I think it was Tuesday of this week, maybe even Wednesday, but two innings. Saturday would be your throw day anyway. You can get three or four out of them. Diamondbacks somehow, some way sent him down before the game against Nationals on Thursday for Matt Davidson, who actually probably had a home run. Yeah, he did hit a home like run. Yeah. But, so for Saturday, we're going to see. It's probably going to be Trevor Williams for the Mets. Maybe. Could be Taiwan. It could be Taiwan. Taiwan made a rehab start in Jupiter. Struck out seven in three innings, I believe. Yeah. Looked really good. Yeah. All good things. Hopefully the arm and the shoulders getting stronger and healthier. You see velocity? Uh, I didn't see velos on okay. him. I didn't see velocity anywhere. He got the strikeouts. He got the strikeouts. Must have been doing something right. He could make a start Saturday. He is he eligible. could. Though. He's eligible. He could. I'm going to say no. Yeah. And also it's the Diamondbacks. I mean, yeah. maybe just throw Trevor Williams, see what happens. But Friday night is going to be a very interesting game because we have David Peterson going up against Zach Gallon. We just saw Zach Gallon pretty much shut this down for, I think it was four innings last Saturday. Yeah. The guy who is one of, I'd say, the better pitchers in baseball. He struggles with health, not so much effectiveness. And David Peterson's a guy who I've been pumping his tires a little bit, calling him league average, as crazy as that might sound. This is a big test for Peterson. If he can keep us in a game against a guy who is, I would say, very clearly in like the top 25% of pitchers in the league, starting pitchers at least, that'll give us a lot of confidence to even just start Trevor Williams on Saturday and feel okay. Yeah, no, it'd be huge for David Peterson to come out. And then who's pitching Sunday for us? Sunday is Tyler McGill versus Madison Bumgarner. In a pitching matchup of two monster humans. Monster humans. Uh, two guys that are... Uh, mean. M- yeah, mean. Dead Grizzled. serious. Yeah. Focused. Guys I don't want to piss off by no. any means. I don't want to make either of those guys angry. But the Mets should come out of this series on top. We saw the Dimebacks last weekend. They're not playing any better no. baseball. They, they, they're beating up on the Nationals, I guess. Cool. Kinda. Yeah, cool. They, I don't even know if they won. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, the Mets are simply the better team. And we always kind of play well in Arizona. Tend to hit. The bats come alive, yeah, no, which yeah. is nice. That's and true. Eduardo Escobar, I'm telling you, he's going to hit a home run this series as well. Yeah. He, play, he played well in Arizona. That's going to be my call. Bet Stra- Eduardo Jurassic Escobar to hit a home run. The weekend. Yeah, I don't know about Gallon. Maybe Saturday I'm feeling an Eduardo yeah. Escobar home run. But, but against what? Who, probably Caleb Smith? Yeah. Oh. Or whoever. Taylor Widener, if he's still on this roster. Don't you slander a Gamecock. But also, yes, that's yeah. fair. They could Saturday, there were some talks about that being a big prospect for the Diamondbacks. And then called Ryan Nelson. His day actually does line up to pitch this Saturday. He pitched earlier in the week, so... If it is Ryan Nelson, he throws upper 90s heat. He has a good slider. He has an okay changeup. He's usually around the strike zone. That was a big problem for him heading into the year, but this year so far seems to have possibly fixed that issue. Small sample, but he looks much better doing it. So that is Ryan Nelson. Keep an eye out because he's a guy who does have some potential. Keep the good vibes rolling. Keep the hits coming. Keep the pitching going, and the Mets will not have a problem. Hopefully we get the series win. We should get the series win. Pray to God. And it's a perfect time to wrap up this episode here. Episode 85 of the Messed Up Podcast presented by The 7 Line. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're on YouTube, Messed Up Podcast, you'll find us there. Drop us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at 
Metzed Up. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button, drop us a rating, drop us a review. We love to see your guys' comments. Follow James on Twitter, at Jeter Had No Range. Follow me, at GiraffeNeckMark with a C. And that's where we will wrap up this episode, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you on episode number 86 of the Metzed Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out, guys. See you next time.